Why is improvisation so important? And how does it link to memorization? We're going to be talking about that and more next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit. This is episode number 42 and I'm your host David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. I hope all of you are doing well. Uh, Today's episode I'm going to be chatting with Jeff Wesley who between this and my other podcast is the first guest that I've ever talked to from England. So it's always nice to have another first as a podcaster. We have an annual music festival in my area called the Eastern Music Festival. It's a pretty big event that you can that you can look up. But Jeff Wesley was one of the performers, played several concerts in this area, and I got to meet him at a dinner for uh, some of the performers afterwards, and we chatted, and uh, you know had some very interesting things to say that I thought would be good to chat about on this podcast. And so we've had a conversation. I've recorded it, and uh, I'm going to be sharing it here. Jeff Wesley is a pianist who has built a an international career. Uh, he, he's done a lot of concerts uh, in, of course, England, is where he lives, as well as Italy, but also here in America. And his specialty is that he plays only his own music. And it's not music that he's composed. It's music that he improvised and then has found a process to study his improvisation and to kind of refine it into something that he can play consistently the same way every time. We're going to talk about why he does that, as well as how he does that. But we also talk about things that I I find very fascinating, how there's a bit of a correlation between exercising the skill of improvisation, but also memorization. And they both have to do with thinking about music beyond what is written on a five-line staff, but thinking about how it looks, how it sounds, how it feels. Memorization is simply learning those things, how it looks, how it sounds, how it feels for something that already exists. Improvisation is the result of noticing how music tends to look, how it tends to sound, and how it tends to feel, and kind of deconstructing that and putting that back together in your own way. So true to the spirit of improvisation, this is a conversation that kind of goes all over the place in a bit, but it's one that I'm excited to share, talking about improvisation and a little bit about memorization. Here's my conversation with Jeff Westley. It's my pleasure today to be talking to Jeff Westley. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thank you. So got the sunshine finally, and uh, <clears throat> so it's a good day. So Jeff, remind me, what part of England uh, are you from? I grew up just on the periphery of London, but um, about 25 years ago, I moved out, moved out of London, and um, I now live halfway between London and Southampton, so I'm an hour and a half from London by car. Um, I'm 20 minutes from the sea, um, and I'm surrounded by beautiful countryside. I live in a tiny village, which is basically a wiggly lane with 30 houses, no church, two pubs, and lots of sheep. Um, <laughs> and I can play the piano at four in the morning, and I don't disturb anyone, so it's pretty good. Well, that sounds like a great situation. Um, mm. 
So it was a pleasure meeting you just, uh, I guess it was just a few weeks ago. I'm kind of losing track of the months. <laughs> <laughs> we we talked about a few things, not the least of which is what brought you to my area. You uh, you were a featured artist in the Eastern Music Festival, and you know I wasn't able to attend your concerts in person, but I was able to watch some things on YouTube, you know, and and some clips that were posted, and and we chatted a bit um, how you kind of have a niche uh, in that you improvise all of your, you know, well, all the music is yours. I don't know if it's all improvised or if some of it's composed, but, but improvisation is kind of heavily featured in your concerts. Would that be correct? Yes. What that means is that the pieces that I played in the concert are created out of improvisation. Basically, I, um, ever since I was quite young, I just sit at the piano and play without really knowing where I'm going. And, um, and sometimes I I just switch the recorder on and just record what I'm doing because that means that if something goes past that I think is good, I don't have to stop what I'm doing just to make a note of it. Um, right. I can just go back to it later. And so the pieces that I perform in concert are like classical pieces in the sense that every time I play them, they're exactly the same because I've sort of um, honed them down to what i think is is the best version of them um it's not improvisation in the jazz sense where people take a melody and then they improvise over the melody or they improvise over the harmonic changes that accompany the melody this is improvisation from nothing where you just start off not knowing where you're going you're not improvising on anything in particular you're just sort of following your nose and it's um it's a skill that all musicians used to have 150, 200 years ago, um, which sadly has been lost by all except church organists, <laughs> who, as you know, they can, you know, the priest moves from this bit to that bit and there's a bit of music, or when the congregation is coming in or when they're going out, and he just makes up a piece of music that stops at the right time. And I think it's something that all we musicians should be able to do but sadly i come across so many particularly classical musicians who find it difficult to play a note without having a piece of music in front of them and i i find that a shame because yeah. and i say well you know you're a musician play something um and um and some of them really can't and that's i find that quite sad well, we're, um, uh, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. You know, so I, I wanted to just touch on one thing you just said. You know, you talked about how this is kind of a widespread issue of not being able to do this in classical music and that what you're doing is, is different than jazz. And I think, you know, if someone were to have gone to see, uh, you know, Miles Davis or John Coltrane, I don't think they would be expecting to hear a solo that sounded exactly like what they did on the album. But on the other hand, if you take kind of your rock groups from yesteryear, you know, maybe take a band like, um, you know, Led Zeppelin or, or Aerosmith or someone like that, they, uh, you know, certainly I think you would count on them to, uh, you know, expand, have some expansive solos. But for the most part, you're expecting to hear about the same thing that you did on the album, and yet they're not writing it down. You know, they, they might be writing out like, you know, parts for the strings to play or something like that. But is but the but the core of the band, they might be, you know, 
that's pretty much by road. It's like, let's try this chord and this chord and, and kind of a trial and error. So it's, it's kind of a cousin uh, as far as a system, I think, of creation that's maybe more common in, you know, rock and pop music than it is in classical. But as you say, you know, and as I've often said before, the, the world of improvisation predates by, by I guess, I guess millennia, <laughs> the world of composition. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. I don't tend to think about that far back, but yes, that's a that's a very fair point. Right. But the rock and roll point is, um, you know, when if a guitar player is playing a solo at a gig, um, then he's normally playing a solo over something that is predetermined. That yeah. They have a you know a riff or a chord sequence that they already know that's what they're going to what the others are going to play while he's doing his solo um and um I, you know the, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i'm not criticizing it it's right. just different um right and um you know and rock and roll players they do understand um they um i mean th th there's this big thing about um you know somebody said to me once years and years ago when i was starting as a as a producer that said that the only um the only reason why you should be making music is to have an emotional impact on the listener the listener should have some kind of emotional response to the music and that's to do with music that comes from the heart not that comes from playing three thousand notes a minute um which is impressive but it's gymnastics um what i'm what i'm really interested in is music that moves people and you don't need 3000 notes for that but rock and roll players do get that um you know you you get a, a, a guitar player that just goes spring and yes <laughs> and something something really um primeval comes across with that um so rock and roll has got quite a lot to teach classical musicians sometimes i think nice well, kind of true to the spirit of what we're talking about, improvisation, I'm going to let us kind of meander all over the place a little bit. So I want to come <laughs> back to it. But I want to talk about a little bit about you as a musician. Uh, what, what, when did you decide that this was kind of the focus that you were going to do as far as like kind of creating your own music uh, and kind of, you know, learning it <laughs> after you've created it? Uh, and then how did how did that become an international career how did you how were you able to kind of sell that and package that just anything you'd like to say about that well I've, as a solo pianist i've i've only been doing this um this solo piano concert and cd thing for about 5 or 6 years though mm -hmm. i've always played piano um and I've done a lot of record producing. I've done a lot of orchestration, um, and I've played in other people's other people's bands. Um, but um, and I've I've always made things up at the piano just for fun. Um, but it's really only the past six or seven years that I've really made a bit of a thing about it um, because I I also thought you know how old do I have to be before I can start making my own music. Yeah. and stop re, re you know representing music of others um and um and so 
that's a bit of a thing now. I I do my best to really only do my music from now on. Um, otherwise, you know, when are we supposed to start doing that? Um, right. A lot of people start a lot earlier than I did. Although I've always done it, I've not uh, I've not presented it in this way. Well, how did you find venues? Did you start local at first, and did uh, were were you represented by someone who was able to pitch your services to, uh, you know, or, or you know, to pitch yourself as a musician to do concerts? You know, I like, for example, coming over to America and uh, in other huh. parts of the world. Um, well, the American thing was organized by a, a, a common friend that we have, right. Lana Shkadova, um, who. Um, who she came and saw me doing a concert in Milan um, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, and um, and she contacted me and said, "Oh, I've got some photos of you know and some video if you if you're interested." And that sparked up um, a Facebook friendship where we've we've been sort of messaging and chatting to each other for for a while now, and um, and she just asked if I'd be interested in coming over to. North Carolina, and she set the whole thing up, which is amazing. Nice. Um, so, what? thank you to her for that. But apart from that, I I do quite a lot in it. I got involved in Italy a long time ago, completely by accident, hmm. um, as a producer. I was asked to produce an album for an Italian singer-songwriter, and I had no idea who he was. Um, and um, and I was just trying to get into record production at the time. I mean, this is some decades ago and um it turned out this man was already for italians like a cross between john lennon and bob dylan he was absolutely jesus christ and is still considered to be so although he died now 20 years ago um and that first album i did with him was his best-selling album and then i did another one and then i was asked for other people and at a certain point i sort of had to decide do I like this? You know what? I'm being sucked into this. But I thought, actually, you know, I really do because I come from a classical background and the Italian audience also comes from a classical background. You know, they're, they're all they've all grown up on Puccini and Verdi and yep. and lyric opera. So they they have a great understanding of um the quality of a vocal, the quality of an orchestration, the quality of the poetry in a in in a in a lyric and so on. And it's a shame that their music, their their singer songwriters stay in Italy because it's a limitation of the language, obviously. But um I would claim that the best of them in Italy are an easy match for the best English or American singer songwriters that are famous across the world. Um, nice. So because I got involved in that thing, you know, I've got a certain notoriety in Italy, which makes it much easier for me to be recognized and get gigs there. So I've done a lot there. Nice. But it's nice now to break out and do some other territories as well. One of the comments that you made when we uh, we had dinner not too long ago together was you you see a connection in improvisation to memorization of music. You said a lot of people don't improvise, but a lot of people don't memorize music either. And of course, I've seen that, you know, that's the case. Uh, I, I feel like I had a lot less stress memorizing music as a student than I see most of my students 
now when they're when they're learning music there's kind of this emphasis on reading what's on the page and in my opinion when it comes to creating music whether it's music you write down on paper or music that you you don't that you just completely create you know with your hands or or whatever i i think it all comes from a place of you've experienced music and you're able to kind of understand why some things work together and you deconstruct it and then you bring it back together in your own voice and you know one of the tools of musicianship that that i identify for the purpose of this podcast is memorization and and i haven't talked about it at all is memorization something that you did early on as a musician when you were playing other people's pieces um yes i always like to get the get the sheet music out the way as soon as possible yeah because i find it a barrier it's a barrier between me and the instrument and therefore a barrier between me and the audience right and you're if you're reading you're constantly just playing the notes the dots on the paper right um and the dots on the paper this is very um a very imperfect system that we have for writing down music but it's it's the only system that we have and of course we need that but it leads to a lot of particularly classical musicians feeling that once they play all the notes that are on the paper correctly and in the right order with no no mistakes then that's job done but i would say no that's job only just started because now you have to play the music behind the notes and having the notes i think is really confusing it's the music we're interested in not the notes right. and um and if you can put yourself in the position of a composer when he composes a phrase it's composed with passion and um no when, i mean whatever melody you're playing written by whoever beethoven tchaikovsky sibelius schumann um was written with with passion but then he had to write it as black dots on a pentagram, um, which doesn't look terribly passionate. Right. Um, and the job of the musician is to get back to the intention of the composer by getting behind the dots that are on the music. And I think if you've memorized the music and it's just you, your hands and the instrument, that's a much easier thing to achieve. You're closer to it. Right. Well, you know, I was just thinking, no blockbuster movie has ever become a blockbuster because of its script <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. i mean if you've ever you know if you ever read a script it's like it's you kind of have to you have to do a little work to see the potential of the movie but it's when you put all the artistic elements and you get the acting performances and the director's yep. vision all in there that, that it becomes you know mm. the the possibility of being a great film <laughs> that's a good analogy yeah. you made another comment uh talking about memory you, you were talking about how if the student isn't memorizing the music do they really know the music and i, I and i thought about that and i i think i would agree with that because you can play mm. you can you could play the music with you know something that sounds pretty good technically like you know you could have all of the all of the the tempos and all the correct notes and rhythms and so forth but if you can't close the book and play what's there 
do you really know what's there? You know, that it, do you have any other thoughts on that? Once you've played a thing many times, if you're studying a piece yeah. and you've been studying it for a, a week or a couple of weeks, surely it's in your muscle memory. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people seem to need the music there as a crutch, even though they could play without it. Right. Um, I've got a, a very funny story of, um, of a, a, an ex-neighbor here. I'm an elderly man. He's not with us anymore. But um, he was a, a very keen amateur pianist, and he used to travel with a suitcase of sheet music, of songs from the 1930s and 40s, because, right. you know, that was his generation. And he used to have, like, concert parties in his house up the road, and people used to go, and he would ask, what, oh, what do you want to play? And pick something from the suitcase. And he would put it in front of him, and he would play it. And and at some point, I said to him, David, he was a David too. Um, I said, David, why is it that you can't play these tunes that you've known for your whole life without the sheet music, yet what you play is not what's written on the sheet music? <laughs> and he, he was playing the melody, right. but, he was, but what was underneath it was he was making it up himself, yet he was unable to do that without having the sheet music there which clearly he wasn't reading because he wasn't playing it nice it's so for him it was just something that gave him confidence to be able to play this piece of music right i think maybe that's that's reasonably common yeah you know i always tell my students that when it comes to learning the music there's there's three senses involved that they have to pay attention to and i i probably don't need to tell them you need to listen to what you're playing uh <laughs> and i don't really well i do sort of tell them to pay attention to what it looks like when they're playing but it's funny some people take that to mean what does it look like on the sheet music as i'm playing it and then others will take it to mean what do my hands look like when when they are playing it and this is where i i kind of i have to tell so a lot of my students have parents, you know, who had very old school teachers and they've passed along the advice that they were told. And that is always keep your eyes on the sheet music. And I, I tell them if you're sight reading, yes, once you're done with that, you need to progressively move your eyes to your hands so that you can watch what your hands are doing. And ultimately, I think that gets to the most powerful sense, and that is the sense of touch. It's like this is, you know, this is why Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and some of these great pianists who can't see can play so well. I, I think it's wrongly assumed just because they have a great ear, but a great ear really only tells you after you've played the note <laughs> if it was correct or not. <laughs> but if you want to play it accurately the first time, you have to be aware of your sense of touch, like how... How far is it to make a jump of, of an octave? Uh, how what's the difference between the reach of a fifth or a sixth, and you know a chord shape, and just uh, how far are your hands apart, and you know what does it feel like when your right hand does this fingering pattern, your left hand does this fingering pattern? I really think you know you called it muscle memory, and I've I've also heard uh, like kinesthetic memory, kind of the same type of thing, but it's uh -huh. I've re I really think that's really powerful because people do things all the time, quote unquote, by feel. And that's, that's something 
that I just wanted to offer, you know, I, I think if people are struggling with memorization, the first thing that they can do is make themselves get their eyes, um, even, even, if, even if it's just peeking down at first off of the sheet music and then try to stay on your hands for a whole measure at a time and then try to play two measures without looking and so forth. Uh, we, we might be the wrong people for this conversation because I know that I've never struggled with memory and it doesn't sound like you have either, but uh, have you yeah. ever like experienced anybody who maybe had a hard time with memorization and was able to improve that at all? I can't say that I have, but then I, I don't really do any teaching. I don't do any um, piano teaching. Right. Um, but I have started now talking to, um, kids in conservatoires um, on these more general points about um, about performance, um, playing from memory. Um, the improvisation thing clearly for me is a big thing, and I I bang on about that. Um, and also some of these some of these conservatoires have um, pop sections, um, and I another another one of my hobby horses is the, the the fact that a lot of pop horrible term but yeah. broad term musicians um don't seem to be able to play anymore without a click mm. they seem to feel that a click is necessary in order for them to play together and a click has only been around for 20 years since the 1990s yeah um i was a session player in the 70s and the 80s mm -hmm. and we didn't use clicks we had drummers that played in time. Um, you would set the tempo. The drummer would keep the tempo. But the tempo would flex imperceptibly, which is what tempo should do. Yeah. Um, and But with a click, it's just so metronomic. And everybody then becomes a soloist with the click. You know, mm -hmm. the bass player listens to the click, doesn't listen to the drums, listens mm -hmm. to the click. And the, and the same with the guitar player and the, and the, the drummer. They're all listening to a click they're not listening to each other and it's a completely different result when you take the click away and you make people play without it hmm. um and i do sessions of that with young kids too it's not their fault you know these these are kids that have grown up with the computer ever present it's they've never known a world without a computer and with a computer if you're making music there is the this dreadful click um so it's not their fault. They just, but I just try and show them that there is another way, and the other way was responsible for the fabulous music that was produced in the seventies and the eighties. Yeah, without it, nice, um, both in America and in Europe and all over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the last thing that I would say about you know memory is that you know this is something that I will dive into. I know there are some people who have thought academically about ways to memorize like like there's so many types of memorization like uh you know what one of the yeah i think a lot of people rely on visual memory if i can just remember what it looks like and i tell them i think that's the weakest uh -huh. you know the, the kinesthetic or physical memory is more powerful but you know the most powerful memory of all although it doesn't help us much with music is associative memory which is that that thing like 
you know, one time I had a car accident and I remember what music was playing <laughs> when I had it. And so it's like, I, if I ever hear that track, I think about the car accident, you know, or, or vice versa. If I think about having that accident, I remember that music. So it's kind of connected now because it was a powerful event, but that's kind of hard to do. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you, you don't want anything, you know, ultra dramatic to happen while you're practicing. So it's not something that you can work on, but, uh, the mainly for the benefit of the listener, I just want to say this is a topic that I'll come back to. So maybe we'll, we'll kind of stick with improvisation. So do you, you, you allow yourself a lot of freedom, but do you ever start with any prompts at all? Do you start with like any mood prompts or anything to get you started? No, no, nothing at all. And in fact, two weeks ago, I was um, I was at a, a music festival just outside Bologna in in northern Italy, and apart from doing a solo piano concert and there was an orchestra, I did something with the orchestra. But um, the I the main thing that I went there for was for uh, do some free improvisation with two other musicians. Now I've already tried it a couple of times with another piano two pianos side by side and just start make it up as you go along. Um, and that's, you know, so then you have to lead and follow and you have to be sympathetic to what the other pianist is playing, but then sometimes make them sympathetic to what you're playing. But on this occasion, two weeks ago, there was, it was myself, a dear friend of mine, who's an amazing cellist and composer and that rare beast, a classical musician who improvises, and a violinist by the name of Robbie Lakatos, who uh, is sort of gypsy Hungarian, absolutely stunning, stunning violinist. Mm. Um, and he plays um, he plays around Europe. He's got his own band, sort of Hungarian band with a um, you know guitar, double bass, cembalom, and um, and they play sort of gypsy music, kletzma, all of that stuff. And I wanted him as part of this improvisation team because he's just such an amazing player. And and it was the results are amazing. I'm I'm in the middle of editing it at the moment so that we can produce a CD. The organisers want to make a CD of the recordings. We recorded three hours of music in five days. Wow! But it's quite extraordinary the way that these pieces just sort of created themselves with a form you'd think that it would be all chaotic but it wasn't at all the the best results come when you say well let's let's play something that's slightly dissonant because if it's dissonant then you have you worry far less about um if you're playing something which is perceived as a wrong note and so what comes out is something that's quite sort of Bartok, Shostakovich. Um, it's <laughs> both rhythmic and lyrical. And um, nice. I'd love to share some with you. I, I can't share it until it's sanctioned by them. Nice. I've seen some music, I've seen musicians improvise together based on some kind of prompt, like maybe it's, uh, you know, here's four notes or here's a, here's the first three chords or something like that, but never completely freely. But it does remind me a little bit of um there's a there's a local theater group that um that does improvis improvisatory theater 
And a lot of times, now a lot of times they'll ask for prompts, but sometimes what they'll do, they'll just take an actor and put them in a physical position. Like, you know, maybe they're kneeling on the floor or something like that. And then they'll, they'll bring two characters in and one person will make a comment like, oh, uh, you know, you know, like, so the person's on their knees and it might be, she's still praying. She hasn't seen her son in five days or something like that. And then the other, the other person will respond to that. And then any other new characters, they're all part of this conversation now. And, it's, and, and I really, I, I love that. And it seems like musically, that is one way to create. It's like somebody has to start it. So maybe at the piano, you start a pattern and, you know, the violinist adds to that and you hear the violinist and you add to that. And it's, and it's, and this is just, I mean, this is what we're doing right now that, you know, this conversation was not transcribed in advance. I'm hearing what you say and I'm responding to it. And then you respond yeah. to that. And this is, you know, this is how we live our life. You know, this is, uh, you know, I, I don't have a transcript of what people are going to tell, say to me today. I have to listen and I have to respond in a, in a way that makes sense. You know, if I started talking about lawnmowers right now, you know, <laughs> after your conversation, that would make no sense at all. But, um, you know, the, this is just kind of a fascinating way of thinking about music itself. I think so, and um, and I think I mean coming back to this um, interpreting the music behind the notes. If, as a classical musician who wants to play Brahms, Tchaikovsky, or, or whatever, um, and to get behind the notes, um, if you are used to being the composer in the sense that you improvise what comes out of your head and out of your heart. It puts you in the position of now I'm the composer and now I know what it feels like to to invent a piece of melody or something rhythmic or just a piece of music in whatever form. You can then put yourself in the shoes of the composer who wrote the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, for example, and, um, and get behind yeah. that. I think it's a very important thing for all classical musicians to do as much as they can. Right. And we've kind of, uh, you know, I kind of just glossed over this whole thing. You know, we talked about like the history. Um, I don't think, I don't think I've really mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've told my students mm -hmm. this. It was only about maybe 150 years ago that improvisation in the classical world kind of stopped being something that was expected. Yes. But, you know, in the Baroque, in the Baroque era all the time, I mean, I have, um, I mean, this is not recorded visually, but I have this particular book by <laughs> yep. Johann Sebastian Bach. And when I open it up, I just open up to, you know, the uh, this is the English suite number three. There's no tempo mark. There's no fingerings. There's no dynamics. And there's, you know, and there's, of course, obviously there's no pedaling or any in situation. So if I want to do any of that, I have to figure it out. I have to figure out what's the best tempo when should it be loud? When should it be soft? And, and uh, you know, this is what's called an Urtex score. It has not been edited. This is the way Bach presented his music. And if you were a performer, you were expected to contribute to the creative process. And then, of course, you have concertos, concerti. Caden uh, when you get to the cadenza, it probably wasn't until the Romantic era that they were 
composed, you know, written out what you were supposed to play. Otherwise, it was like, get into it like this, come out of it like that, and do what you want in between. And you could decide, I'm going to take the the first theme, and I'm going to change it to minor, or I'm going <laughs> to change, you know, modulate the key, Absolutely. or do something Absolutely, like that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And um, it, then it seems like as soon as jazz came out... <laughs> That Well, maybe a little before then. There may have been a transition. But, you know, jazz kind of took over the world of improvisation. And classical became more increasingly controlled. I mean, to the point, you know, one of the quotes of Stravinsky I've heard is, I don't want musicians to interpret. I just want them to play what's on the page. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is, you know, totally the opposite direction of where we we used to be. But, you know, it, it, it does sound like, that there's room for bringing back some kind of long creativity. Like, I don't know how much Max Richter actually writes down of his music, but he has these hours, multiple hours long pieces, you know, that are kind of free flowing. And I, and I, I tend to think there's probably a bit of either improvisation or controlled improvisation in there. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's great to hear, you know, to meet musicians like yourself who are valuing, you know, what is not, it's not anything new it's something that i think when you look at the entire history of music it's been around a lot longer than writing down everything on the page that we're supposed to play absolutely absolutely well uh we'll go ahead and just kind of wrap up here uh we're this this is due to come out kind of in early october do you have uh, any concerts on the horizon at this point at that point um no, I'm, do, I'm doing a concert in southern Italy on the 7th of October, but it's a small festival run by a friend of mine. Um, I've just been doing some gigs. Um, I only got back two days ago, um, and I'm going back again at the end of August because, you know, it's the season where, particularly in Italy, it's lovely that they they do a lot of outdoor stuff because they can rely on the weather which is not quite so easy here in the UK, but... uh, Right. And it's very common to have these open-air concerts that are funded by the local local council so that the musicians get paid, but if you want to come and listen to the concert, it's free. Mm. And that's lovely. And people can wander around and or sit down or... um, All of that is nice. But we get into October and things close down a bit um and then i've got stuff next year but i've got a whole lot of writing to get done this this autumn so i'm looking forward to that i have to nice. I have to finish the editing on this um improvised album and then i've got another one to do and i promised myself to do another solo piano album because it's about time but i just need the time to sit quietly and get on with it so hopefully by the end of the year I'll be able to I'll be able to bore you with that one. Can people find your albums online uh, if they would like to listen? Yeah, to I'm on the, all the usual platforms. Just look nice. up Jeff Wesley. Um, you'll find me. I'm out there. And and the YouTube channel. There's quite a lot of stuff on the YouTube channel. Um, not only solo piano, but some orchestral stuff too, which is fun. And as far as like concert information and, uh, you know, any news, where can people follow you, keep up with what you're doing? Um, I suppose through my website, which I must update. Mm-hmm. You've nudged me, to, nudged me to do that. So okay. <laughs> I'll make sure I get that done in the next week. Sure. Excellent. 
Uh, well, it's been wonderful talking to you today, and uh, you know, th- thank you for sharing. You know how you know this really the fascinating career that you've had so far, and thank you for chatting with me about the art of improvisation. It's lovely talking to you too, David. Hope to see you soon. And that's going to wrap up episode number 42. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much if you would share it with a friend or share it on social media or share it in an email, uh, whatever your method would be. It's just so great to introduce new listeners who could get something out of this podcast, just to introduce them to the show. If you're new, we have an episode out every Monday morning and tends to alternate with a guest one week and then me doing a solo podcast episode the next week. We are also on YouTube. If you're not already there already, if you prefer that, my channel is at David Lane Music One. If you have any thoughts on this episode or any any other episode that you ever want to share with your voice in a voicemail, you can do that at speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit. That's speakpipe, P-I-P-E dot com. If you own a private studio of any kind, do yourself a favor and check out the Fonz app. There's a link in my show notes. This app will save you a bunch of time. And really, to me, I think it saves a lot of stress. Trimming down all the work that needs to be done with schedule problems, uh, as well as simply collecting payments. Again, that's going to do it for this week. Hope all of you have a great week, and I'll be back with you again next week. Until then, thank you for listening.